A wise person once told me, don't believe everything you think. I'm sure she was quoting another wise person, but in my current predicament, eight days overdue with my second baby, while sharing a horrendous head cold with my three-year-old, yep, that's a pity trawl right there to bring in lots of pity fishes, I hope you will forgive me that I forget both of these people's names. But what I don't forget is the sentiment and how bang on it is. Hot Vomit, a Ferrochrome podcast. When I was 10 days postpartum the first time around, I went to a free bladder slash incontinence clinic at the hospital where I had given birth. I thought I was fucked because the first time I stood up after labor, pee and blood shot down to the floor as though they were cannonballed out of me and there was no safety net or skin there to block it. It wouldn't have surprised me if a kidney or a lung had fallen out at the same time. And my bladder was so full and so beat up, I needed a catheter to relieve it. I was really surprised by this because for the first time in my life, I couldn't pee on my own. And what I remember most during the first few days of my post-birth healing was how painful it was to pee. I thought to myself, if I start a punk band when I'm 40, we're going to be called Catheter Trauma. So as you can imagine, I jumped at the chance to get to this free clinic. Here's what I was thinking. That I might be a lost cause. That unlike my infant, I might be wearing diapers for life. That there were many women out there who had used all of their resources, financial, spiritual, physical, to try and have a baby who would gladly trade in the use of their top-notch bladders for a shitty one for the chance of having a family. But I wasn't one of them. In my twisted world, Justin Timberlake was singing, bring the bladder back, and that would be sexy. When I took my seat in that room... I was gobsmacked by how wrong my thoughts were. It was like I was an interloper at a convention of people who have been through a war. And me, like I had been to the supermarket. I waltzed in on my own two sneakered feet, with my newborn happily fed and in my husband's arms at home, so I could concentrate on how to get my bladder back. The other new mums in the room all had squirming, half-squawking infants in their arms or next to them in bassinets with wheels on the bottom, and they looked as baffled about breastfeeding as I was. A few mums were in wheelchairs. Three had undergone a C-section the day before and were fucking warriors to be there, still dragging their IVs with them. One was unable to stand and the other two grimaced like stoic angels trying to keep their insides from spilling out. But there was one mom I will never forget. A young woman in her mid-twenties was wheeled into that room on a bed, half propped up on hospital pillows on her side slash belly because she had gone through a fourth degree tear and would be needing surgery soon or was just recovering from surgery, it wasn't clear. She had been in the hospital a week. I don't know much about fourth degree tears because like Voldemort, I won't say their name out loud. Just the thought of a vagina meeting an anus in a tear can give me a stroke. And this young woman, needless to say, a fucking birthing warrior, made it to this clinic because she was thinking that there was great hope that she would be able to pee and poop again normally. And hopefully soon. 
She couldn't sit or stand or move on her own, but she believed it wouldn't be long. Those were her thoughts. The other incredible experience I took away from that clinic was the therapist who ran it. She was named Stella, and if I ever had a baby girl, she would be named after this incontinence clinic nurse without a second thought. This woman spoke real, down-to-earth, was funny, wise, informative, and everything you'd hope for in a person when you're feeling really vulnerable and exposed. Her kids were our ages, and she was going through this with them because they were now having their own kids. And she spoke of her first post-birth time like it was surviving a war. And then she nonchalantly added that she had three more wonderful kids after that. And all of us in that room were first-time moms, and you could feel our jaws drop when we heard that she had done this four times. Best decision of my life, she said. It's hard now, but you'll see. I remember Stella asking me to lay down on the table so she could tell me how far my stomach muscles had split, which can cause incontinence and a whole host of other problems. And she exclaimed loudly, They haven't! Your muscles are intact! That's amazing! And I almost shushed her, because I was scared the other mums would hate me. How did you get here, she asked. I walked, I said. Oh, amazing, she said. Keep that up. I have no worries about you. You're ahead of this game. You can go any time. The whole walk to the clinic, my thoughts were telling me I would be told I would be in diapers for life. And the whole walk home, my thoughts were quiet. I think of those women from that clinic just as I'm about to give birth the second time. How many of them had already had second babies, and how some may be on their third. I wonder how many stayed together with their partners. How many bounced back from childbirth injuries. How many remember Stella and that west coasty, earthy, positive, funny class on how to pee and poop. I wonder if in a week or so, I will meet any of them again. It was a shock. Becoming pregnant for a third time was a shock because four weeks earlier, I had had a miscarriage and a really bloody one at that. And through our sadness, we thought, well, I'm lucky to be alive and we've got one amazing kid and we both like sleep. So as much as we want a second child, maybe it's not in the stars for us. And a week later, I thought I had the norovirus for how much I was barfing. And when a month or so went by after that, and I kept on barfing, we thought, hmm, there's no way, right? Immaculate conception? At my age? I can't tell you how hard I cried when the doctor told me I was pregnant. Because it was during the exact same appointment that he told me why I had lost my second pregnancy, to Trisomy 16. And I cried because... Women usually don't get to know what happened, and I was so lucky to know, and to know that my body hadn't aborted a healthy fetus, like I thought it had. And then the weight of my sorrow turned into a fragility I hadn't yet experienced, because so much hope rushed in. I was pregnant. I was as far along as I was when I had miscarried. I would be booked for an ultrasound, like that was the normal thing to do. And if all went well, we'd get to have that second child. This pregnancy has been a tightrope walk over a sea of fear. Sometimes the rope turns into a wide, gorgeous meadow, and I'm just so thrilled to be strolling along, pregnant and buoyant, 
that I don't even notice any of the worries we have bobbing just below the surface. And sometimes the rope turns into a piece of dental floss, so thin and ready to break that I feel like I will fall any minute into one of the myriad of horrible, horrible things that can happen. For most of my pregnancy, I had placenta previa and was on pelvic rest and unable to do the things I would normally do to clean up my thoughts. Any form of exercise, any form of sex, no lifting or heavy cleaning, no picking up my toddler, all of that was off the table. I also had an undesirable iron and hemoglobin count and I barfed like it was my job. I took diclectin for that hardcore nausea, which helped. But soon after I stopped barfing, let's just say my other end became inflamed and I started using the word constipation more than my own name. In fact, one of my hemorrhoids got so bad that I named it Mars after the red planet. But at the same time, I was thrilled. I know it's hard to believe anyone could be thrilled over having a Mars, but I was, and I still am, at eight days overdue, thrilled and terrified. My husband and I know that there is so much on the line this time. Just last Saturday night, we rushed to the hospital because I had soaked in our couch and we knew our baby's head was still floating and we didn't want to risk the cord coming first. We didn't know about stuff like this the first time around, but we do now. And we both have felt grief, not for the miscarriage, but for changing our lives. For our little family of three, Two weeks ago, we said F it to the zillion and one things we're trying to do before the new baby arrives. We left our house in domestic chaos and took our three-year-old to the beach. And at one point, my very busy little dude crawled into my lap to eat his crackers and cheese. He said, Mommy, let's sit and have a conversation. And I'm so glad he was facing the ocean while in my arms so he couldn't see the tears running down my cheeks. I kept squeezing him tightly, smelling his hair, holding his tiny three-year-old arms of mine, knowing how rare it is for him to sit still and rarer yet to want to cuddle, astonished that three years have gone by. And we went through all of his questions. What does seaweed eat? Can garbage be made into recycling? How is that lady floating in the water? Look at that boat. Why does it have tires on its side? Will the baby cry a lot? And I thought of a few lyrics from Tom Petty's album, Wildflowers, that I've been playing for my belly. And the days went by like paper in the wind. Everything changed, then changed again. And I answered his questions, then changed the subject to how much we love him. He was really quiet staring out at the ocean. You never know what'll go into your child's brain that you said. Likely the times I curse under my breath and sneak eat chocolate out of the freezer more than the times I'm actually paying attention and acting out the grabbing arm of a side loader for the hundredth time that afternoon. But I so badly wanted this moment to get lodged in his memory. All of us playing and building sandcastles and destroying them and eating crackers staring at the sea. I told him that he is always our first. Our first big love. And that, in fact, it might make no sense, but it's because we love him so much that we wanted another family member. And he seemed relieved. Or I could just have been thinking about seaweed. Who the fuck knows? And later he asked, Will the baby laugh? And I said, With you 
as his brother. There's no way he won't. So that day, I just held my three-year-old for as long as he'd let me, about 20 minutes. I was so full of gratitude and grief. We really lucked out with him. And we're sort of astounded at our audacity to roll the dice for one more. But here we are, hours out to meeting our newborn and to changing everything once again. We're about to throw our hearts and my poor, poor 39-year-old body into the wind one more time. So, what about the joy? Are we courageous enough to feel it? To not get bogged down with the logistics, the worries, the incredible, incredible amount of work to come? Can we steer our thoughts from the what-ifs to safer shores? Can we get off this tightrope now? Or can we turn it into a meadow? Hot Vomit. A Ferrochrome Podcast.